Hey everyone, I wanted to open up this episode with a quote from actor Ethan Hawke. Because I think that most of us really want to offer the world something of quality, something that the world will consider good or important. And that's really the enemy, because it's not up to us whether what we do is any good. And if history's taught us anything, the world is an extremely unreliable critic. When you have a dream and a passion, you have to hold on to it for dear life because you will most certainly encounter those that try to break down that dream. And even if you do sway away from that dream for a time, if you really want it to come true, and if you really believe in it, you will find your way back. This is the Myers Real Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Johnson, and this is episode 15, The Jealous Curator. Right after the break. This episode is brought to you by the Beautiful Bazaar Art Prize. If you are an artist, now is the time to enter the contest and showcase your work on their international platform and have a chance to win $50,000 in prize money. You have until midnight on July 17th, LA time to enter the contest. To enter and find all the information, go to beautifulbazaarartprize.art. If you enjoy the podcast and want even more content while supporting us, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Real and sign up today for only $3 a month. That's less than one cent a day. Thank you for your support and enjoy the episode. So go ahead and give me a little intro, like your name, where you're from, what you do. My name is Danielle Krissa. I am an artist and an author and um more often known as the Jealous Curator, and I live in a tiny town in Canada called Summerland. And growing up, Danielle had a pretty normal, happy-go-lucky childhood. Well, I grew up here in the 80s. It was basically like a Juicy Fruit commercial. Um, (laughs) Water skiing in the summer and skiing in the winter, and um, we're surrounded by peach orchards, peaches and cherries and apples, and then there's vineyards everywhere. So growing up here was, you know, going to the beach and, um, you know, you'd cut through people's peach orchards on your way to parties. And it was just so safe and easy and fun. And yeah, so I just, it's so nice to be, and it really hasn't changed in the 22 years that I've been gone. So it's it's really nice to come home. And what were you like as a kid? What kind of stuff did you uh, get into? I mean, I was pretty outgoing. I I did all the things. I played all the sports. I was in the plays for drama. I I was the artsy kid. Um, But I kind of had lots of friends in lots of places, but they all kind of overlapped because we'd all known each other for so long, right? So, um, yeah, I loved it. Um, My mom is an artist, and my dad was a um, scientist. He worked at the the local... um, research station here, an agricultural research station. That's why we moved here originally. And uh, yeah, my mom had a studio in our house with art supplies everywhere. And so I was always making art with her and on my own. And um, yeah, I really loved it. Like I, I went to high school with all the same people I went to elementary school with. And it was a really, really nice way to grow up. Not only was Danielle into art, but she was also into a ton of sports as well growing up. Played all my girlfriends played sports. So we from the time I was in third grade, I was I played um baseball. Um and then in high school I played basketball and uh field hockey. 
And then I was also a dancer. So I I went to a different town um, further down the lake where there was actually a dance school. And I was pretty serious about that for a long time. And so, yeah, we kind of, my whole life was pretty much sports or art. If you haven't gotten the picture already, Danielle was always a pretty outgoing and busy kid growing up, always getting into different things and always found a place to fit in. So when it got time to graduate high school, what was your plan? What did you want to do? Uh, just like typical teenager, I wasn't completely sure. I, I Because of my parents, probably, I was really good in the sciences. I was really good in biology and chemistry, but I was also the art kid and drama and whatever. So I didn't really know which way to go. And everyone assumed I would go to art school. And I actually went for marine biology <laughs> because... Art just seemed so like I think society had had hammered into my head that being an artist, you know, you'd be a starving artist and, you know, you you wouldn't be able to make a living. And so I thought, well, I should go into science. That's more responsible. And so I went for marine biology. But then whenever I didn't feel like doing homework, I was always drawing and painting in my dorm room. And so my dad, uh, the Ph.D. scientist Right at the end of my first year of marine biology, um, he phoned me and said, you know what? I think you should switch into fine art. And I was like, what? And I said, well, what about like food and and rent? (laughs) And he said, you know what? He said, this is who you've been since you were born. And he said, you have to, you have to follow who you are. And, uh, and so that's when I switched, I switched into fine art for, uh, in my, in my second year of university. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it was, it was kind of amazing that a, a dad and b a scientist dad <laughs> would encourage me to switch, but I mean, he was right. He was right. It was really where my passions were. And, uh, and yeah, so I made the switch and then everything went downhill from there. While she did love art and that was clearly her passion, she didn't have a great time at art school at all. This was her first time really struggling to find her place. Why do you think it was hard for you to fit in with the other art students? Well, I mean, in hindsight, I picked the wrong school. Um, I was at that school because of marine biology. And then instead of finding an art school that was right for me and then switching to that, I just changed majors. So the school I was at, the fine art department was really conceptual um and it was very i mean this was again early 90s so everything was like gigantic abstract paintings and that was not my style at all and um you know as a 40 something person now i would have done some research <laughs> as, a, as a 19 year old i just switched majors and so um i showed up there and they were like okay do gigantic paintings and i was like oh no i don't want to do that um so I kind of bristled with a lot of the professors right off the bat just because I wasn't doing what they were teaching basically and I was pretty headstrong because I was confident and I'd grown up you know being the art kid so I just kept doing the things I wanted to do and got terrible grades because it it wasn't in line with their plan and I was not conceptual I was 19 I'd had a really lovely, like we talked about this lovely childhood. I had no angst. I was like, I had had nothing to 
say yet. I was so young. And what I wanted was to learn how to paint and to learn how to draw and to learn about printmaking. And some of the classes touched on the how, but more, this school was more like, but what does it all mean? And I was like, I don't know. I can't even figure out how to use the printing press. Like, teach me how to do that first, then I'll figure out the conceptual stuff. And I never really got there, honestly, until right before I graduated. And if I really think about it now, basically, I just started doing what they wanted me to do. So then, you know, I was doing abstract paintings by the end. And I was using a lot of black paint because I was like, is that is that angsty? I don't know. And how would you say you felt at that time in your life? Yeah, I mean, I I was sad. I mean, it I I was pretty beaten down. I mean, every critique I had was bad. Um, and that messes with your self-esteem. You know, like at the beginning, the first year and a half, I was good. I would, you know, I would defend myself in critiques and I would stand by what I wanted to do. And I was an art history major and I loved art history. So very often I was trying techniques like I, I wanted to try pointillism. I wanted to try impressionism. I wanted to experiment with that stuff and that did not fly. And so I don't know. I just I was so... Uh, I cried a lot. I just felt like really lost and really alone. And what I didn't, and then I sort of shut myself away. Like in my last year, I had a studio for uh, seniors got a studio in the, in the school to do their painting. And I never worked there. I would always just work in my dorm room with the door closed. So, because I just didn't want to be it felt like such a negative environment to me. I just did not want to be there any more than I needed to be. But that shut me off from conversations with other people and realizing that other people were feeling exactly the same as me because I just sort of went into a vacuum. As we all know, things happen for a reason. And maybe she needed this kind of shakeup in her life to push her out of her comfort zone. But what Danielle didn't need was one terrible professor. And then I I had my final critique. Um, this is sort of my jealous curator origin story. I had my final critique six weeks before I graduated um, for my grad show. And this professor who had just never liked me the entire time. Um, and he hadn't really been seeing my work because I, I had been doing it in the dorms. Um, I brought the work over for this crit and he loved it. He loved everything. Also, probably because it was abstract. But he loved it all, and it, it was amazing, and he'd never seen anything like it. And and I was so relieved that I'd finally, like, you know, hit a nail on the head. And um, and so the next week, I brought the same work back because uh, a visiting artist was coming from New York. And he invited three people to show their work. And, I, you know, he just told me I, I was this genius. So I was like, okay, I'll show my work. And... It just was a complete 180. This prof who had said he loved it just raked me across the coals about how bad it was. And I was like, what? But you just said. And all of my defending myself skills went out the window. And it was supposed to be a 10-minute crit. And 30 minutes later, it was still happening. And he wrapped up the crit in front of all of my peers and said, um, quote, 
you should never paint again. According to another professor, the reason for his attitude changing was mostly due to him trying to impress the visiting artist and make himself look smarter than he was. I mean, it really didn't matter who showed their art first, he was going to rip into it. But being a young artist, having uh, a professor treat you that way could really hurt and possibly make someone give up on their art. And sadly, that's what happened to Danielle. If that had been a one-off incident, I would have been able to go, whatever. Like, I'm the art kid. What are you talking about? But because it came at the end of just being, you know, knocked down and knocked down and knocked down and knocked down, it was just sort of the final straw that I was like, okay, I quit. You know, and I was just sort of done. And I really didn't make art for probably 15 years. And so after leaving art school and being so beaten down, um, what was your plan? And I mean, when I went to art school, I also didn't really have like a solid plan. I, I, I knew that it was what I loved. And my dad basically said, and this is the advice I give my son. He's 16 now, and he's starting to be nervous about what he should go to college for. And what my dad said to me and what I say to him is just aim yourself in the direction of something that you love and just keep paying attention. Like, you know, keep paying attention to the things that really light you up and just keep heading in that direction because it it will lead you down the right path if you're true to the to the thing you love and you're paying attention. And so that's just kind of what I did. And I, I kind of hope for the best, I guess. I remember asking in my last year of university, I asked one of my professors, so I think we had two months till we graduated. And I was like, well, what do we do when we're done? And he said, um, grad school. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, wait, there's no plan. And so, um, yeah, like I, I didn't really have a plan until I, I graduated and then took, lived in my parents' basement and took some time to a cry and b figure out what was next. Danielle did have one huge supporter and that was her dad who told her to move back home and he would help take care of her for a few months while she figured out her art. But as she tried to push ideas out, nothing was working. She found herself officially giving up on that dream. She did, however, figure out a way to bring her creative side out in other ways. Yeah. So I gave myself that year um, in their basement to try and figure out what was next. I worked a ton of like little odd jobs and I thought, okay, I'm either going to go and do grad school. I'm going to go do my MFA and, but I'm going to pick a school where they actually teach me some technique or I'm going to go to graphic design school because that was what my, my sort of style was. And I'd gotten really slammed for that in art school that, that I was a sellout because I, my work was very pop artish and there was text involved and it did look very graphic designy and that was very not cool at this school. And so I spent that year at home trying to paint and seeing if my MFA was the way to go. But I also found a local um, graphic design studio and asked if I could volunteer, like if I could just be there two mornings a week, just to sort of be a fly in the wall and to help them with whatever they needed. Like, cause I just wanted to see if I liked it. Like I thought before I go now to another school, what if I graduate and I hate graphic design? So I just volunteered at this place a couple days a week um, for about 
probably eight months, and I loved it. So I ended up applying to a couple of different design schools and got into all of them. It was a perfect way to convince myself that I was still being creative without having to make art, you know? And so I did really well at design school. I got a job right out of school. Um, I was getting raises. I was getting promoted and not making any art at all at home. And so when my parents were like, well, why aren't you, you know, why aren't you making art? I was like, I am being creative every day. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> like a little, you know, def- a little too defensive about the subject. Um, cause it was a perfect hideout for a really long time, you know? And, and so, yeah. And, and I'd found my people, like I, I actually fit in at design school and it, it felt nice, you know, compared to what I had just experienced. While she was working in graphic design, she did try out making art again, but never had any success. And I was in my own little apartment in Toronto, and I had this closet that was not being used for anything. And it was it was a pretty big, like, sort of walk-in closet. And I set up a secret studio in there. And my boyfriend, who's now my husband, he didn't even know it was there. Um, and so I would make tiny little paintings. Um, and then I would throw them away the next day because I would just, I'd look at them in the morning and be like, oh my God, these are terrible. And I would throw them away. And then a couple of weeks would go by and I would like have another idea and I would try something else. And then at night, I I always thought I was such a genius at night when I was doing them. And then when I woke up in the morning, I would look at the stuff and be like, oh my God, like, this is terrible. Like I should never paint again. And I would throw them away. So I really, really did not make anything like for years and years and years. Sometime later, Danielle would have her son. And this was yet another moment that was going to bring art back into her life. Until probably till my son was born and I was at home on mat leave and I started playing around again. And, but as soon as my supplies came out, like all the doubts came out too. So it was, um, it wasn't until I did that artist way book, um, in 2008, I guess, and basically tore the bandaid off and, and forced myself because I knew, I knew having art in my life was important. I was really missing it. It, it just, it was a huge part of me that I had turned off. And so I wasn't fully myself, you know, I was, I shut down a part of myself that, that needed to be there. And, um, so yeah, in 2008, 2009, I, I basically forced myself to face the demons and, um, it worked. It was painful, and but it worked. While she didn't quite get back into making art right away, she did find a way back into the art world. This terrible experience she had in art school and the feeling she had of wishing she was making more art led to her being very jealous of others who were making her dream of being an artist their reality. But thanks to her husband, he gave her a little push and helped her turn that negativity into a positive. I was out for lunch with my husband. I think my son was maybe two and a half. And I was having a feeling sorry for myself moment. And my husband was noticing that I, w- I was basically jealous of everyone. I was jealous of 
anybody that had an art show. I was jealous of anybody who was selling their art. Um, anybody that was making art, because I still wasn't really making very much. And he said, you know, <laughs> I was also super grouchy because of all that. And he said, you know, the way that jealousy works is that if you keep it inside, it it's just poison. Like it's just going to eat you from the inside out. But he said, if you can figure out a way to take all that jealousy and say it out loud in a positive way, he's like, you can change the whole thing around. You know, you can turn it into admiration. So, of course, he recommends that she start a blog to express herself and to release some of these thoughts in a positive way. And this is when blogs were kind of just like taking off. And he is a social media strategist. So he said, why don't I set up a blog for you? And... Like not not for anybody else. Like he's like just for you, and and you can start kind of looking at all the work that you're so jealous of, and figuring out why you're jealous of it. Like maybe there's a pattern. Like maybe you know, does all the work that you that you're jealous of is it all the same color palette? Is it all the same medium? Is it all like what what's the connective tissue? Because he said maybe that will help you figure out what you want to make. And he goes and. If you write the posts in a really positive way, maybe you can turn this negativity into something good. And because I worked in branding and design for so long, I was instantly like, over lunch, I was like, I will call it the jealous curator. <laughs> I already had the, the logo in my mind and all this stuff. And so he helped me set it up. And I just started writing whenever Charlie was having a nap, I would do a post and nobody was reading it. I mean, it just went out into the, you know, interweb and and um and one day um i checked there was i had a little google analytics on it and it was generally like six views and it was like my dad twice um you know my husband once from work and then me uploading it and then going back to look at it but soon this little hobby would start to get even more attention than she ever would have expected and then one day on my google analytics there were 27 views or something and i was like <gasps> And I looked and some of them were from New York. And at that time, I didn't know anybody. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Strangers are reading. And so then I, I started my creative directorness and me came back and I was like, there must be a schedule. And <laughs> so then I started getting serious about it. And it took off um, because of the name, because other people actually got it. Like, I didn't know other people were jealous of everyone. And my tagline when I first started was, um, damn, I wish I thought of that. Because when I saw artwork that made me go, oh, God, how did I not come up with that? I knew I had tomorrow's post. And so what this did was it, it just, it was like a magnet to find my people. And I didn't even realize, like, that was never my intent. And um, yeah, that was in the February of 2009. And I, I mean, I haven't looked back. It's just. It's just been a runaway train since then because I actually found my people. What were these articles like at the beginning? What were you writing about? Well, it was so funny because my first post, like I said, I had a, a minor in art history, right? And the writing with art history is always very like society's view on the blah, 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 blah. And so I wanted this to be like fancy you know it was an art blog and um so my first post just went on and on and I was you know oh all the big words I had the thesaurus out and whatever and I was like okay I'm ready to hit publish and I showed my husband and he was like oh no 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 <laughs> and I said 
what? I said, that's how, right? That's how art people talk. And he's like, exactly. He's like, you don't like the art people. And I was like, oh, right. And he said, he said, you know, the thing is, there are a zillion art blogs out there. He said, but what's going to make this one unique is you. He said, you don't want to sound like the other art blogs. You, you want to sound like you. So he said, you need to write the way that you talk. And so when I would find art that I loved, if I found something and I thought, oh, sweet Jiminy, I wish I made that. I would actually type sweet Jiminy. I wish I made that. You know, and I just started writing um, how I talked and exactly what I thought. And I, it was really easy at the beginning because nobody was reading it. So I didn't have to feel pressure or like I was going to be judged or whatever. Um, I also kept my identity completely secret. I was just the jealous curator. I didn't connect Danielle Krista to it at all um, for years because I felt I still had that imposter syndrome left over from art school. And so I just was the jealous curator. And that kind of gave me the freedom to say what I wanted to say, to write the way I wanted to write. And um, now I actually tell people, you know, who are kind of nervous about starting something, I always say, give yourself a pen name. Nobody needs to know who's actually writing this thing. And it gave me a lot of freedom to to do what I wanted to do. I mean, granted, I still wasn't making art. I was now just sharing everybody else's. Um, but at least it was kind of helping me have an outlet. And it was starting to let me see, to let me actually visually see what it was I liked. And then that way, my style, again, it took years, but then my style kind of came out of paying attention to the pattern of what I loved about all these other ones that I was kind of collecting. After her blog grew, she began getting offers to curate shows, attend other events, and at one of these events, she was approached about writing a book. She took them up on the offer and wrote the book Creative Block, where she would speak with various artists and learn how they overcame their own creative blocks. And it was while making and releasing these books that she realized she needed to take her own advice and get back into the studio. I was also feeling kind of like a hypocrite. Like here I was writing these books and traveling around and telling people to get unstuck and face your inner critic and make work. And I wasn't. At the same time, she started chatting with other artists for her own podcast. And the advice that she would get from them really gave her this final push to start creating art again. And this time she didn't give up. It was because of my podcast. I was I was talking to Wayne White who is one of my favorite artists ever. He he was um, he worked on Pee Wee's Playhouse back in the 80s and designed like most of the puppets and he did the voices and everything. And um, But now he paints and does sculpture. And I was asking him because I was really discouraged from doing humor, humor-based work in art school. And all of his work is humor-based. And I'd been told like, you know, oh, you'll never be taken seriously as an artist if, you, if your work is funny. And, and the, the guy, the prof even said like, oh, you know, it's bad enough that you're a woman. You're already not going to be taken seriously. But if it's funny, you really won't be taken seriously. So I had Wayne on and, uh, you know, when he started showing in L.A., that's kind of what the galleries were saying. Like, you know, well, real art isn't funny and this is funny. And so I said, you know, how did you feel? And he said. He's from Tennessee. And he said, well, I just said, fuck it. <laughs> and I laughed so hard. And I was like, yeah. Like, 
why am I not saying that? Like, why am I still following rules that were set by some jerk 20 years ago at art school? And finally, she was back in the studio doing what she always wanted to do. I just practiced what I preached, and I I ended up going into the studio, like, um, that week, and I... Instead of working on perfect canvas, I just ripped up a whole bunch of watercolor paper. It wasn't even cut nicely. I just had like a whole bunch of little squares of watercolor paper. I had to go buy new paint because my paint by this point had turned to like rock hard plastic. And um, I had been collaging. So I had all these like bowls of like little cut out people and cut out cars and all these different things. So I just, I laid out all 20 pages. I started making swooshes and blobs of paint with all my favorite colors, just remembering how to make strokes and stuff. And then once it dried, I would put tiny little people interacting with the paint and instantly a hilarious weird title would pop into my head and I would just make that the title. And the title was, it was usually a sentence or two long. Um, but I was like alone in my studio laughing out loud, just having the best time. I didn't eat all day. I just kept making and making and making. And my husband poked his head in at one point and was like, um, everything okay in there? Like, <laughs> like, I felt like a crazy person. And I was so happy. I came out of there and I said, I have not had that much fun making art since I was about 17. Looking back, do you wish you never let that professor keep you down for so long? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, like I said, I'm happy with how it's all turned out because of it, but what a colossal waste of 15 years of not making anything. So whenever I talk to students or whatever, um, I always share this story. There was a, a woman that I interviewed for a creative block, um, which is a Toronto artist named Amanda Happe. And I'd asked her how she deals with negative criticism, um, like, you know, external. And she said, and I quote, um, the great thing is you don't have to care. No one can wrestle the pencil out of your hand. You get to keep going in absolute defiance. Now, when I read that answer from her, I cried so hard because this was now like, what, 17 years after art school or something. And in that moment, it was the first time I realized that that prof didn't put my paintbrush down. I put my paintbrush down. Like he said some mean stuff, but it was my job as a creative person to pick the paintbrush up the next day. And I didn't. And so I always tell people, you know, you're going to face criticism. You're going to get it rejected from a show. You're going to, maybe you'll do a show, but nothing sells. Like you're going to have these moments where you question what you're doing or, you know, whatever. But as a creative person, a writer, a dancer, an actor, an artist, it is your job to pick the pencil back up again and go again the next day. And just like that, we come back to the quote from the beginning of the episode. It's not up to us if what we do is any good, and if history has taught us anything, it's that the world is an extremely unreliable critic. Danielle's professor, and even herself, was an unreliable critic. That moment might have hurt her, but she is the one that gave up. And if you are struggling to make your own dreams a reality, you need to do as Danielle did and say screw it and do what it is you felt you were meant to do. Thank you to everyone for listening to this episode of the podcast and your support means the world to me. Please go check us out on patreon.com forward slash real where you can donate to help support us even more while also getting extra content in the process. And be sure to go check out Danielle's new book, 
Art and Joy. And I'll put a little audio clip here for you to listen to now of her talking a little bit about the book. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. My latest book, it's it's my seventh one, um, but my second kid's book. It's called Art and Joy, Best Friends Forever, about these two little characters, Art and Joy, who clearly need each other. And uh, it just came out at the very beginning of March. So I'm just on my book tour now through the spring. And um, technically, it's for kids five to nine. But I think there's an art kid in all of us. So I, I think I've seen some 40-year-olds cry when I read it. So I, I kind of think it's for everybody. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud of it. So if you see it at your local bookstore, at least flip through and have a look.